Welcome to We Hear Her. I am Erin Trenbeth Murray. And I am Jennifer Bean. We're here today with another amazing woman who's sharing her story and insights to lessons learned. Hi there, I'm Erin Trenbeth Murray with the We Hear Her podcast with Women Who Succeed. So happy you could be with us today. I'm really excited today because I get to interview someone that he doesn't know that I've admired for afar for quite a while, and that's Davis Smith. As many of you know, Davis is the CEO of Cotopaxi, and I'm gonna share with you a little bit about his bio, and then we'll dive into some questions. The reason I was uh, reaching out to Davis is because I saw several posts on LinkedIn, as I'm sure many of you had, that really were very supportive of women's leadership, women's initiatives, and I was just impressed that we had such a strong male ally in our community. So Davis is the founder and CEO of Cotopaxi, an outdoor gear brand with a humanitarian mission backed by Bain Capital. He is a member of the United Nations Foundation's Global Leadership Council, a Presidential Leadership Scholar, and an EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Davis was Silicon Community Foundation CEO of the Year and previously started Brazil's Startup of the Year. Davis holds an MBA from the Wharton School, an MA from the University of Pennsylvania, and a BA from Brigham Young University. Davis is an adventurer who has floated down the Amazon on a self-made raft, which, although I know he's quite the outdoorsman, with the piranhas, that kind of makes me a little nervous, kayaked from Cuba to Florida and explored North Korea. Davis and his wife, Ajaline, live in Sandy, Utah and have four children, including two teenage daughters. So welcome so much, Davis. Yeah, thank, thank you, Erin. This is such a pleasure to be with you. Well, I'm so glad you could make time in your yeah. busy, very, very busy schedule to be here. And I had such a good time having conversations with you about your daughters and um, kind of the whole background with your company. But why don't we just back up a little bit? Maybe could you share with us a little bit where you're from and a little bit about you know how you came to be the founder of Cotopaxi? Yeah. So. Uh, when I was four years old, my family left the United States. Uh, we moved to Latin America, so I lived in the Dominican Republic for the first few years of those years, and then we ended up moving uh, to a number of different countries in Latin America, uh, including Ecuador, where the name Cotopaxi comes from. Uh, it's the name of oh. a volcano in Ecuador, um, near the city of Quito, where I grew up. And the, my school that I went to was called Academia Cotopaxi, so named after this volcano. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So. Grew up in Latin America, um, and it was a really uh, transformational experience for me. It shaped who I am. Uh, growing up, seeing you know my earliest memories were seeing extreme poverty. Mm. Um, you know, children completely naked on mm -hmm. the sides of the street that were my age, and really trying to reconcile why my life was different. And mm -hmm. my family didn't have money, um, but compared to those around us, it seemed like we had so much. And so I grew up from the time I was a little kid knowing I wanted to use my life to find a way to help others. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been an entrepreneur my entire professional life. Uh, my last business was in Brazil, and uh, that's where I had the idea for Cotopaxi. I moved back to the United States, and uh, about eight years ago we started, started this brand. Amazing. Mm. Do you think that living there, I mean, to me that's extremely adventurous. At some really formative years, it sounds like, somewhere between the ages of three, seven, eight, 
for mm -hmm. right? Yeah, from three till I was a, a teenager. Oh, till a teenager. Yeah, yeah. till I was a teenager. Then I went to high school here, mm -hmm. um, went to undergrad here, and then moved back to Latin America, and then came back again, went to a grad school here, and then moved back to Latin America again. Do you think that early upbringing, being in another country, and having so many diverse experiences fed some of the entrepreneurial um, maybe fostered the entrepreneurial spirit that was already within you? I certainly think, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you have to not just have lots of ideas, but you have to be willing to take risks. Risk. Yeah, so I think, you know, living in Latin America, moving around a lot, I think I was, I think I had a childhood that allowed me to be a little more open to taking risks and mm -hmm. realizing that even though things seem hard or scary, that they end up turning out in the end a lot of times. So, yeah. Yeah. And maybe also, I would think um, that there are so many diverse exposures to things that you're looking at different perspectives, that people have different ideas. I think mm -hmm. that would help feed that creativity of entrepreneurialism. Yeah, I definitely think, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is really about solving problems. And when you've had exposure to a lot of different cultures and people and different parts of the world, I think you, you see problems differently than mm -hmm. maybe most, or mm -hmm. you see solutions a little bit differently. So I certainly think that's the case. Well, tell me, in valuing the diverse perspectives, since we are talking about women who succeed and you being mm -hmm. a male ally, I wonder if you could share a little bit about how you see value in uh, the perspective of women at a leadership table. Yeah, so uh, this was an interesting learning for me. When I was in Brazil, uh, I was building a business called baby.com.br, and we were the largest retailer of baby products in Brazil. and. Uh, not surprisingly, a huge number of our team was made of women. And um, it really was a place that, that attracted a lot of, of women leaders because, um, you know, when I moved to Brazil, I realized Sao Paulo is a, is a very large city, you know, over 20 million people. Mm -hmm. My neighborhood had more people than all of Utah. So oh um, it's very crowded. Uh, it would take between 90 and 120 minutes to commute one way, five miles, eight kilometers. Uh, and there's no walking or riding bikes uh, in Sao Paulo. There's not even like there's not even sidewalks, or you'd be dead. I mean, it's just <laughs> so you you drive a car, but you're in traffic for a long time. And so, um, I ended up having to make a decision pretty early in the business around how important is it for me to see my family because most people in Brazil work late hours. So yeah. if I left the office at seven or eight, like most people did, and it took me two hours to get home, my children would be in bed. And right. so I made the decision I wanted to leave the office. Uh, by very early by Brazilian standards and um, be home that I could have dinner with my family and I could help my kids with their homework and do the bedtime routine with my kids and uh, it was a, it was a little it was a little risky my, even my board kind of questioned me on this you know especially the Brazilian board members and um, but what ended up happening was we created a culture in our company where we valued families and all of a sudden we had amazing senior women in other major corporations in Brazil they were saying, I want to work for you. Um, like, how can I come work for you? Because I have a family and I want to, I want to be a, a good mom and I want right. to be a, 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 but I want to continue working and contributing to something that matters. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon we had a, a very large team, uh, you know, two thirds of our workforce was, was women. And uh, it was a, an eye-opening experience for me because I saw we were a much stronger company than my previous company that I'd built in the United States, which didn't have that kind of diversity. And that's when I recognized how important this was to have diverse teams. If you care about results in business, you care about diversity. Ooh, wow, I love that. I think that might be the name of our podcast. Okay, That's yeah. a good one. I think that it's really interesting 
the how savvy you were. Um, certainly, the first, I'm so impressed and happy that you were drawn to want to be with your family and have that connection. I love how you're making the connection that you know quality outcomes in your business from from happy people and high quality people that are drawn to work for you because of your your values. I mean, those are some of those are, have got to be just the core central values of your work that that drew these female executives to to your business. Yeah, yeah and it turns out um, that people care about values and they care about <laughs> the values care. of <laughs> it uh, turns of, out. Yeah, and values of the organization they want to, they're going to be spending so much of their life with and I think this is actually this is what gives me a lot of hope for the future is that this young generation they care deeply. Mm -hmm. They they don't want to just go work for somebody to help make someone else a bunch of money. Yeah. They want to be part of a mission and a purpose and a cause. And uh, you know, if you build something with with those elements, people want to be part of that mm -hmm. and they're gonna they're gonna work hard to help you accomplish that that mission and those goals and um, it's very different than when I was in college you know when I go to colleges now to go speak and talk about entrepreneurship and about social impact and about mm -hmm. our responsibility to use businesses to be a force for good mm -hmm. I mean these young kids they've they've thought about this they have great questions they know a lot I, when I was in college no one was talking about this yeah at least I I didn't I wasn't even thinking about it like I, this has been a big learning for me over the last the last decade well, I'm so impressed because to your point, which is so true, as we're doing the Women Who Succeed program and the female executives are mentoring college-age women and college-age women are mentoring juniors and seniors in high school, it's been really interesting listening to the juniors and seniors in high school and the college-age women, their, their experience is very different. Their peers that are males are very, um, not, they're very supportive. They're very like, well, of course this is the way it is. But for my generation, not necessarily. We mm -hmm. really did feel like we were constantly trying to break the glass ceiling and figure out how we were going to navigate that. You have two teenage daughters. Mm -hmm. What grades are they in? So I have an 18-year-old. She's a freshman at BYU. Mm. And I have a 16-year-old who's a sophomore at Brighton High School. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. They're, you're right in the thick of it. Oh, it's so <laughs> fun. We're, it's, we're having a great time. Yeah. What do you hope for them as they move forward into young womanhood, early yeah. 20s, what do you, and, and maybe into early 30s? My hope is they can do anything. I mean, yeah. I, I don't necessarily care what they choose to do, um, but I hope that they feel they can choose any path they want. And mm -hmm. frankly, that's novel in some ways. That wasn't mm -hmm. always the case. Mm -hmm. Like to your point, even not that long ago, not that long ago, uh, it didn't feel like that was possible. I mean, when I was in undergrad, you know, you go to the business school, and it was like it was predominantly men mm -hmm. at, at BYU, at mm -hmm. least. And and frankly, at the U too. Yeah, I think just about everywhere. Um, you know, when I was at Wharton, uh, about forty percent of our class was female, mm. and that was record breaking. Like wow. it, in you know, a decade earlier, it had been twenty percent, and a decade before that, even less. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now I know the Wharton School this last year had a, a class that was over fifty percent female. For the, it's the first top business school that's ever had more women than men in the in the program, mm -hmm. and so. I'm starting to see a lot of those doors open, but um, yeah, I just I want my girls to find something they love and are passionate about and feel like they they can go tackle whatever they're excited about without feeling blocked or uh, you know handicapped by by uh, by gender, gender, which is which is the reality of how it was not that long ago. Yeah, are the, do you ever? I worry about um, and I don't have girls, but I worry for I have sons. I worry for my friends have girls, especially with social media. Um, how do you feel they combat the pressures of social media? 
as a young woman? Yeah, you know, every young woman is, is different. I'll say that first. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think my daughters, uh, you know, we were maybe a little bit late in the game to giving them access to social media uh -huh. compared to some of their friends. Um, I think that's actually important. Um, you look at young people today, mm -hmm. especially in the United States and Europe, um, compared to Latin America or, or other parts of the world that maybe don't have the same access to mm -hmm. social media. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's been incredibly unhealthy uh, yeah. for especially young women, but for young men as well. Um, the comparing that happens and um, but I, I think at least so far I feel you know our, our girls have I think managed and balanced it well um, I think probably largely because of my wife and just uh, how intimately she involved she is in their lives yeah and yeah knows what's going helps. on and yeah. talking through things with mm -hmm. them so they're not necessarily feeling they have to turn just to social media yeah. for outlets yeah. you know you were speaking a little earlier that I want to circle back to something I forgot about when you were talking about your work in Brazil, and now that you're CEO, founder, and CEO of Cotopaxi, what advice, if you had a, some young male managers that came to work for you, and they're fairly, you know, maybe 30, 35-ish, what advice would you give them about um, mentoring uh, or engaging women in the company as well so that they can grow into leadership roles? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, first of all, I'll say I'm not an expert in this. Uh, I'm doing... I think you are. I think I, <laughs> I, I care deeply about it. And I, you know, I try, I have, um, in our organization at Cotopaxi, I am a mentor to a number of rising female leaders in our team. I think the first thing to, that I would tell them is um, there's really no difference between mentoring a man and a woman in terms mm -hmm. of, I think a lot of times, especially in conservative cultures, you think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be... Uh, spending one-on-one -on -one time with someone of the opposite sex, mm -hmm. um, we've got to get past that. Yeah. Um, there's nothing sexual about meeting somebody in a work, professional work relationship and mentoring and coaching them. Yeah. And so um, I think that's the first thing is like, you know, we have to be comfortable working with people like um, of the opposite sex and one-on-one -on -one Meetings and mentorship happen. That those kind of things happen one-on-one, mm -hmm. -on -one. Mm -hmm. and so that's I think important. Um, number two, I think, you know, one important thing is like you just have to, you have to understand that we have to build diverse teams, if, uh, and the way that we build diverse teams is by putting work into it. If you just put out uh, a job opening and you expect to get a diverse team just by right. having an open job, you're going to be disappointed. Um, and I, I can speak to a few different roles recently that we posted. Our, our president, we're hiring a company president mm -hmm, right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up, we listed the job like everyone does. And we ended up having uh, a very, very small percentage of women apply, like single digits as a percentage. I think I saw you post yeah. that on LinkedIn. Like over 90% yeah. were men. Wow. And um, I knew that wasn't a, an accurate reflection of the, the capable leaders that we were looking for. And so uh, I spent a significant amount of time reaching out on LinkedIn to, yeah. to female leaders that are running other brands that mm -hmm. I respected, uh, reaching out to other leaders in our industry and asking them, um, specifically asking them for names. Like, who would you recommend that I talk to? Who are some of the most exceptional leaders you've worked with in your career? Mm -hmm. And it turned out like close to 50% of the names that came back when I was asking like that were women. And I didn't specifically say, hey, will you give me the names of yeah. some great female leaders. I was just saying, give me the names of the most exceptional leaders that you've worked with. 
and it came back that many of them were women. Uh -huh. and, uh, and were more diverse ethnically and with and different backgrounds than the people that had just applied organically through the job listing. Yeah. And so I've had these conversations with our, with our team, our leadership team, both at the senior levels all the way down to the lowest level of managers that are just building their team for the first time. We talk about how if you want to build a diverse team, you have to put work into it. Mm -hmm. uh, don't just list the job and, and re-interview the top candidates that you get. Go spend some time hunting for the very best candidates, and they're oftentimes not going to be the people that are applying for the job. I love that because it's both the seeking out and then it's the investing, right? It, it's, it's you're investing in your company, you're investing in profit, you're investing in the growth of the, of the industry when you um, really try to be tactical and strategic and deliberate about cultivating them, mm -hmm. right? Having lunch meetings with them doing a mentoring program with them, mm -hmm. coaching them up when there's been um, failure or when there's been mm -hmm. successes and putting that time and work and ethic, work ethic into it, I think rises all ships. So I love that. That is why I think you're a male ally because that often, I think there aren't as many of you, I wish there were more um, males out there that that comes naturally to them to think, you know what, this, this pool of candidates is slim. It could enrich the company more if I had a broader, diverse group, whether mm -hmm. it's ethnicity or race or gender. So I, I applaud you, and I think thank you're you. a huge yeah. ally for, for women and young women across Utah and, and beyond. Yeah, well, thank you. I've, uh, you know, I think I've had amazing women in my life, uh, both professionally and personally, and um, I, I just find so much joy in watching people grow and develop. And uh, I think especially seeing in our organization at Cotopaxi, seeing so many women rise in the ranks and take on bigger leadership roles. Um, I think a lot of that came really from um, having a diverse set of investors as well. Mm -hmm, so our, mm -hmm. our major investors in every, basically every stage of the business from our very seed investor, the first seed investor was a woman in Kirsten Green. And oh, wow. I think we maybe, did we talk about this? Yeah, I can't remember, we did, but, we did, um, that's right. Yeah, but we had, uh, and then our, our next major investor was Ellie Wheeler and the next one is Lauren Iveson and then Brooke Harley, and then our recent investment from Bank Capital is from Cecilia Chow. Um, and when you have amazing female leaders on your board, uh, I think it's a lot easier for senior executives on your team that are women to say, There's a, this is a place that values me, and this is a place where I want to be. Right. And of course, more women want to come work for other women leaders that are feeling um, that they have a voice and they have uh, an opportunity to, to really take on a major leadership role in our organization. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, Davis, thank you so much thank you. again for spending time with us today. My pleasure. Thank you we for inviting We look forward. Me. I'd love to meet your daughters sometimes. Yes, they, I would love for you to meet them. We'll That'd do be that. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, and I'd also like to say Cotopaxi is an amazing company, so I hope you get out there and get your product. And um, thank you so much for joining us with Davis Smith from Cotopaxi with the We Hear Her podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to hear her. Join our efforts and learn more at womenwhosucceed.org. A big thank you to our sponsor, the Clark and Christine Ivory Foundation.